0: Welcome back, listeners, for another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. We're back for another great conversation with a Georgia music teacher today that I think you'll all enjoy. Before we get to that conversation, I just want to encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues who might be interested, and if you can take a moment to leave a review, I would really appreciate it. And now, without further delay, here is today's conversation. We are joined by Wendy Warner. Hello, Wendy. Hello, baby. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me. Let's start with a background question. Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Okay,
1: so I'm a cellist, of course, and I teach at Columbus State University, Schwab School of Music. I'm originally from Chicago and grew up uh, from there in my whole life. My whole family is from there for many generations. Then I went to the Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia when I was 18. Yeah, and then my life took me many different, directions before i started uh, developing a studio
0: as, as a teacher mm-hmm. can we go to the very beginning of how you got into music yes did you yes. ask for music lessons yourself did your parents see something in you that caused them to sign you up for music lessons Yes. so
1: actually um my mom played the piano violin flute and she also sang and my dad was a composer and played the piano and viola, and they met at Northwestern University and fell in love. And, and there you have it. And,
0: were they, and then were,
1: what, were they music majors there? Yes, actually, you know, back in the day, they don't do this anymore. But back in the day, you could get multiple degrees. You could get like a bachelor's degree in one instrument, a doctorate in another and a master's in another. They don't really do that anymore. You know, and my dad had a master's in music education. And so I loved music from day one. I used to sing all the time in my crib and my mom noticed that I had a good ear and she used to play this record, I think it was Frère Jacques, yeah? And then one day an old McDonald's and then she discovered that I was singing it on a perfect pitch. So when I was about four, she uh, taught me piano and I learned how to read notes before I ever, read the alphabet that was my first language so i was reading notes and rhythms at the age of four so and then when i was six i begged my mom for a second instrument i said please i want to play a second instrument and she wouldn't let me play the violin which was my first love actually and i was very upset about that i remember pouting and having having a temper tantrum in the kitchen and what was her what was her reason for that because she was a violinist, I think she couldn't admit that that she didn't want to have competition between us. This is this is what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. But she would never admit that. And I said, Well, can I play the flute? She played the flute? And she like, No. And I said, Well, what's left? There's nothing left? What am I going to play? Just the cello. Because when my mom was studying music education at Northwestern, cello was her first love. And she always wanted to be a cellist. So that was so and actually, I didn't like it for the first six months at all. I thought it was a masculine voice. And I was very frustrated that it never got any of the melodies in the string quartet, hardly ever or in orchestra. And I was like, but I want to play the melody all the time. Anyway, (laughs) but I I fell in love with it after six months and actually realized that it is quite vocal, it expands the whole range, right. So I am really glad that I played the cello. It's a beautiful instrument.
0: So let's talk about practicing for you as a child. What was practicing like for you? Um, Did your parents have to force you to do it or were you self-motivated? I was not (laughs) self-motivated.
1: I should have been, but I was not at all. In fact, I think I got away with just the basic minimum, 30 minutes a day on each instrument until I reached age, I wanna say age 13. And then a light bulb went off. And this is what I think with, with all kids, like you cannot really force them. You can, you can try, but you can't really force them. It has to come from within yourself. Like you have to have this voice that tells you, I know I can do this. I have an instinct that I can do more than what I'm doing now. And so when I was 13, I actually put myself to the test. It was like a, like a science experiment, hypothesis. If I practice three, four hours a day, could I win this competition? So I challenged myself. I was doing Stolberg competition, actually, if you've heard of that in Michigan. And I thought I'm going to win. I'm playing to Borja concerto. If I practice three, four hours a day, I will win. Nope. I didn't, I didn't get it. I got to the finals, but I didn't win. So I was really, really uh, down about it. So, but I didn't give up. There was something that kept telling me, no, you can do this. You can do this. And then I entered ASTA, and then I won ASTA, and then I played the Chicago Symphony after that. So there has to be something internally in, within yourself that realizes your potential at some point. And that's true for everybody if they want to go into music, right? I used to get so annoyed at my parents for, for <laughs> begging me to practice every day. And my grandmother would threaten me and say ridiculous things like, if you don't practice, God will take away your talent." You won't have it anymore you know the guilt but it's so you know it it just has to come from within your soul basically at some point right Mm -hmm.
0: so at some point you decided that you were going to be a musician professionally for your career what prompted that decision Uh, what guided you to that decision
1: that's a really good question so i think at, you know, At age 12, does, does anyone really know what career means? I don't think I knew what the word career meant, but I uh, was struck by a performance. Do you know the cellist Zara Nelsova? Have you heard that name? No, I
0: have so, not. Um,
1: she, she, she's the same generation as uh, Maya Garbersova and um, Mr. Slav Rostakovic, so sort sure of the same generation. And she came to Chicago when I was 12 and she played saint concerto. And I remember she walked out on stage in this glorious gown with this extravagant scarf that trailed in the wind behind her. I
0: thought, wow,
1: how glamorous. I want to be a soloist. But I had no idea what that meant. I just thought, this is, this is what I'm going to do, I thought. So, but I didn't know really what that meant. What does it mean to have a career? I didn't know. Yeah, and I'm glad I didn't know it's really awesome to yeah it's an awesome responsibility yeah to to realize that right
0: yeah so you you talked about earlier at the very beginning that you went to curtis institute at the age of 18. what was that like how did you get there so
1: actually the story goes like that that uh, when i was in high school i auditioned for rostropovich and i remember my first meeting with him i was 16 and I played Shostakovich cello concerto for him and I played Paganini Moto Perpetuo. And at the end of that meeting, and my cello teacher at that time, Mel Novak was with me. And at the end of that meeting, he said, uh, where do you live? And I said, Chicago. And he was in Washington DC because he was conducting the National Symphony Orchestra. And he said, oh, that's not far. That's not far. Of course it's far. I mean, come on, that's really far. So he said, okay, you study with me, I will give you lessons. So we got on an airplane, maybe like three, four times a year, woke up at five in the morning, went down to D.C., had four hour lessons and took the last flight out. And then next morning I wake up at five and I go to high school, just like every other high school student. So, yeah, it was intense. And then at one of those last lessons, he said, I think you, well, originally he had actually asked me to audition for Catholic University, American conservatory and george washington university because he wanted me to be in dc to study with him just one-on-one and i knew that academically that was going to be way too stressful for me i was very terrified of that prospect but i did and i got in but it was very it was just the idea of it stressed me out and so i was praying praying he would change his mind i just prayed he would change his mind please 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 i want to go to curtis i know i should be going to curtis it's just and guess what at the last lesson he changed his mind and he said you should go to curtis that's it but i had i had missed the audition so i had to go in and do a special audition that's how that happened that's how that came about and he was my teacher throughout all of my uh, years
0: there well for tell us he's legendary what uh, what memories can you share with us what do you remember what your lessons were like?
1: Oh gosh, um, very scary. <laughs> Extremely scary. Uh, incredibly inspiring. He never touched the cello in any single lesson ever. Not one time. He, he always demonstrated on the piano or he conducted. He, he knew entire scores from memory. I want to say it's almost like he had phonographic memory. He, he, he never, it's amazing. Actually, you very rarely you see people who have that kind of memory. You just sit down, you can hear everything and he would just do it. And so he never gave me fingerings or bowings or talked about technique. It was all just like a conductor would teach. There were very intense lessons. All my lessons had to be memorized, which I don't demand of my students. Now, I don't think that's necessary but every lesson had to be, including sonatas. So a little scary, a little scary, a little intimidating, but the style of teaching is so different from the American style. You know, we're so nice. We have like the perfect sandwich. You know, we say, oh, great job. It's wonderful, fantastic. Here's what we need to work on. And then at the end, you're like, wonderful, great, bravo. But it's not like that. Very to the point and no compliments whatsoever, ever.
0: Why do you think he didn't why didn't he demonstrate on the cello? Why did he choose to demonstrate on the piano or conduct?
1: Hmm. Yes, I talked about that one time because he said, "I don't want people to imitate me. I I don't want you to imitate me. I want to inspire your imagination. So, I don't want you to imitate what I do."
0: Do you do something similar or do you demonstrate on your cello? Cuz I know you are great.
1: Totally opposite. <laughs> I'm definitely a very different teacher than my my upbringing. My teachers were very strict, including my teacher Nell Novak from age six to eighteen. But I'm really grateful for that because it it kind of made me who I am. I'm not. I'm, I'm glad for that. But I'm not like that at all. I'm very. I want to say that my style is a little bit more nurturing, maybe in this way. You know. Um, But but I think ultimately the discipline comes from the music, right? So it's understood that whatever is demanded from us has to come from the music. So that should be the discipline, right? Not me, but you have to feel that from the music. So
0: that's sort of So I do demonstrate a lot, Mm. a lot. And I also do play the piano sometimes. You've started talking about this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What was your family's relationship with music like so? there
1: was always music in the home 24 7 i would wake up hearing my mom play hannon etudes turning a twos every morning it was constantly in the home so and my sister i have a sister too who also she has perfect pitch also and she um used to play the piano and flute quite well though she did not choose that path in her life it was just always around in the home um, my grandmother played my great-grandparents played it's just, it was in the family for a long time. My, my dad's father um, taught at Northwestern for a little bit. He taught theory, Philip Warner. And he, I didn't know this about him, but he, I found that he's in the Stokowski collection. He, the NBC Symphony premiered one of his symphonietas I, was, I didn't even realize that, you know, it was, I, I'm not sure if they expected me to be a musician or do, do it like with career. I think they hoped i would but they i don't i never remember them really saying to me oh you have to do this
0: did you play music as a family together
1: we did but it was a little bit difficult (laughs) just a little bit difficult sometimes yes we did actually that's a painful story but my mom and i used to play together all the time but at some point my cello teacher thought that we shouldn't anymore was very painful for me and so she had her husband play piano for me that was that was really painful yeah i uh, yeah every parent wants to be proud of their child right so but there comes a point and maybe you go to another level right and mm-hmm. so i think that's maybe what happens and that was i cried more than anybody believe me <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Describe your journey as a teacher. How have you changed who or what have been your key influences?
1: So, actually, I think I was already teaching before I even knew I was teaching. I think it was something that i had been doing always from the beginning, but I just, I wasn't thinking of it necessarily like a career choice. It's just that whenever I would perform somewhere, I'd always do a master class or I'd go into the public schools and talk to the kids it was just it's something i've always done but i never labeled it as such and i think at some point you know before i came here i came here in 2010 so i've been here quite a while and sometimes i think you grow into the mold of what's expected from you so i came here i feel like i was a little bit green when i first came here and i feel like i i grew into the mold of what was expected from me i think i matured into to being a good teacher, like I think you know, I came here with the intention because I also have a, I have a son, yeah, who's nine. I wanted to have a family that was really important to me, and I, I was traveling so much at some point, and I kind of wanted to have like a home, <clears throat> and this is what I call home. Mm-hmm. I call Columbus my home, and now I'm I'm and during COVID I'm like really excited that we had a chance to create. A studio recital and do things that maybe I wouldn't have been able to do if I wasn't here. So I'm I'm very happy to say this
0: is my home. Yeah. What would you say is the balance between talent and work ethic when it comes to determining success in a student?
1: I think work ethic is everything. It's mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, you can have is it, like you can have sure forty percent talent, sixty percent hard work. You can have. But it's it's really down to the focus, the commitment, the work ethic. Talent can only go so far. And I've seen it, I've experienced it, I've seen it. It's great to be talented, wonderful. And there is a lot of talent out there, but respect, hard work, commitment. A lot of it is also just attitude. You have to have a good attitude. You have to bring a good attitude to everything that you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have passions and hobbies outside of music and teaching yeah i do <laughs> but you would never know
1: it um i actually it's funny so i've always had an interest in psychology and i think they go hand hand music and psychology go hand in hand it's just different points of view uh, psychology is a perception of human emotions and music is communicating those emotions, right? But in order to perceive them, you have to experience them, right? So I feel like um, during that, actually during COVID, during uh, this whole time when a lot of kids were online, I was thinking about going back to school and taking online psychology classes because there was time to do so. But I didn't, I didn't do it. But I have a fantasy that in my second life, I'll come back as a psychologist. And I play piano too, I guess that's a hobby. Yeah. I, I don't do it professionally or anything. Yeah.
0: Well, I hope you eventually find time to pursue that hobby of studying psychology. That's great. <laughs> Tell me about your time in GMTA and MTNA. How did you hear about the organization and what has been part of the organization meant to you?
1: So when I first came here in 2010, I was actually asked to judge MTNA. And that was my first introduction, actually. Just the level was, I, you know, back up in, in North in Chicago, we, we're more familiar with ASTA. that's mm-hmm. our organization. So MTNA is a big deal down here. And so that was my first introduction. I thought, wow, the level's really, really high. So I decided to enter my students. There's always one student that enters every year, it, it, either the MTNA or the GMTA, like there's always one student. Mm-hmm. So it's a great opportunity, I think, for students to hone their skills and prepare for something and polish the repertoire that they're working on. So every year I enter somebody. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and since I know you and I I know some of your students, your students have encountered um, success in GMTA and MTNA competitions, both as soloists and in chamber music, right? Yeah, that's right. Do you have any advice for young musical professionals and teachers as they embark on their careers enter in interprofessional life?
1: So I think that talent and hard work is a given, but in addition to this, your professional life already starts in college. So how we relate to people, uh, how we interact with one another, our professionalism starts already as a young person, when you're in college, you make those connections, you make those impressions, you forge those connections already. So to just be aware of that unspoken musical etiquette.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's very true. You know, I'm thinking about a lot of the people that I stay in touch with and um, work with professionally, and a lot of that are people that I met in undergraduate or graduate school and uh we got along we worked well together i know about their personality and their character and i trust them and so they become my go-to you know in terms of professional collaborations
1: that's right that's right you said it better than i ever could Uh, (laughs) perfect exactly exactly right yes
0: Well, Wendy, this has been a delightful conversation. It is always fun talking with you. And it's especially fun for me to hear your story today. Thank you so much for sharing it with me and with our listeners. I wish you happy teaching and happy students.